So, please give this to Archbishop Figueroa from our chapter. All right, um, let's start, if you don't mind, uh, with, a, with a short prayer. I, I start all my shows that way, and, and it's, a, it's a needed thing. So if you wouldn't mind, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Eternal Father, in the most holy name of Jesus, by the infinite merits of his most precious blood, we beg thee to send us thy Holy Spirit with his graces, his healing powers. We ask this by the powerful intercession of Blessed Mary of a Virgin, to whom we consecrate ourselves, this time we have together our families especially, and all the work that you do to serve the church. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So it is a great honor for me to come and receive this award on behalf of one of my greatest heroes. Um, you heard, uh, I hope you heard, um, Al reading out Archbishop Vigano's thank you to the Catholics United for Faith chapter here and his great gratitude for the work that you do to defend the faith. His encouragement for you particularly uh, to engage in the battle for the defense of the faith here in Milwaukee. Having been the Archbishop Nuncio to the United States, he has a great love for the United States and for all the different dioceses where he worked in and yours included. So if you notice in the letter, which I think Al has provided for all of you that Archbishop Vigano sent or will provide for all of you, um, you'll notice him talking specifically about your diocese, the need for you, especially you parents, to de defend the faith in your seminary and to fight for that. You have the right to that. And I'm going to just reflect on some of his statements to you to start off with. He said, if you, when you read the letter or you heard it, he said, I consider it my duty out of love for the church and the Pope to do what he did. What he did, of course, I mean, I'm sure all of you know, but the very first testimony that he gave was to expose the fact that he had actually told Pope Francis already in 2013 about Cardinal McCarrick and the difficulties involved with Cardinal McCarrick that in fact Pope Benedict had sanctioned Cardinal McCarrick restricting his travel and he informed uh, Pope Francis about that that was ignored, those travel restrictions were lifted and of course we saw Cardinal McCarrick doing all sorts of things in between 2013 and when he finally, got the, the whole story came out. And so it was a very difficult thing to do, but he said, and you can see it there, I considered it my duty to offer out of love for the church and a love for the Pope. And that's very interesting because all of what the, those who battle for life, family, and faith inside the church today, if they're doing it properly, are doing it out of love. Love for the church, yes, but also love for the Pope. And that's weird to say because, well, most of you might know, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you some more, uh, that there are really 
bad things happening, things that are harming the faith like she has never been harmed in her 2,000 year history. And that's a strong thing to say, but that's confirmed by some of the greatest Catholic historians alive today. And we don't feel it as much because we're not in China. We're not receiving the persecution. We're not in the Middle East. We're not being killed for our faith, being persecuted physically or financially or even psychologically. Well, here we are persecuted as Catholics. We are persecuted in the faith by the teachers of the faith. And that is a real crime because it not only affects our material being, our life on earth, it affects our eternal life. And that's why what we're undergoing is so severe. So I want to reflect on the um, Monsignor Popek Award winner because he really exemplifies a Catholic of great courage, but also I didn't mean to skip over that by saying a Catholic of great courage. I mean to say a Catholic. So let's just focus for a bit on his being Catholic. The man loves the faith. The man loves the faith so much that when he did the most controversial thing on the planet, a ton of bishops here who had never said boo about what was going on in the, in, the, in the Vatican came to Archbishop Vigano's defense. They didn't know what he was talking about. All they knew is that he was a good and holy Catholic man, Catholic Archbishop. And that's an amazing testimony all by itself. He loves the church. He loves the faith. And you know what? All of you know. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't need to stand up because you're having such a good time because you're with amazing people. I've been privileged to meet you guys and it's incredible being here because it's like you come home to family. Family who you trust, whom you know, and I just met you. And yet that bond of faith is so strong because we have the same faith, the same beliefs. There's no confusion in it. We all know and love the Mass. We all know Our Lady want to die for her so that we can be close to her son and there's no one who wants to say any different. It's a beautiful faith. It's a beautiful oneness in faith. And Archbishop Vigano has that in spades. So when this man did what he did, a lot of people said, oh, he's doing it for the money. He was jilted. No, he wasn't. He has lots of money. His family has a good fortune, thanks very much. They actually tried to pin that on him later by saying, oh, look, look, there's a court case going on and, uh, you know, he's fighting over money. No, he wasn't. He gives his money away to charity. And yes, there was a family fortune and he, he had to deal with that. And he did. He was the older brother, so he had to deal with it. But such is. The thing is, he only stood to lose in a worldly sense from doing what he did. But he did it, as he said, out of love for the church, and for the Pope. Because, as Bishop Schneider has said so eloquently, Athanasius Schneider, if you don't know him, you should, um, he's probably the most outspoken, next to Archbishop Vigano, uh, the most outspoken bishop in the world on what's going on, um, has said, the real friends of the Pope are not those. 
giving him adulation, not those encouraging him in the confusion that he's causing, but are those asking and demanding from him clarity. So, Archbishop Vigano in his letter to you also said, bishops and cardinals and even the one who more than any other would have to have had uh, excuse me, would have had to protect the bride of Christ from the attacks of the devil, have been responsible for abominable acts of profanation and apostasy. Those are very strong words. I'm going to hold that and explain that in a little bit, but remember those words. He said, bishops and cardinals and even the one who more than any other would have to have defended or protected the bride of Christ from the attacks of the devil have been responsible for abominable acts of profanation and apostasy. He also says a note of hope. He says there, that's here in the United States, he met generous young people eager to follow Christ. And that's who I've met in this, in this room. And you see among seminarians today who are faithful to the teaching of the church. Young people eager to follow Christ, aware that our church, in our church, you are called to serve with all your energy to lead souls to the kingdom of God. Must follow no human ideology, but Christ himself and Christ crucified. He is our only way. Take special care of your spiritual life. And this is a mark of every single person who, if you ever are wondering what marks someone, how are you supposed to tell if someone is on the right path, not leading you astray? Here's a really good sign. Someone who is concerned for souls. The winning of souls for Christ, concerned more for your spiritual well-being than even for your physical well-being, even though they're also concerned for your physical well-being, but more concerned for your spiritual life. So Archbishop Vigano, even though he's in hiding for his life, he did one of the hardest things. He knows what he's talking about and why he's in hiding, because he was in Rome for a long time, then became the nuncio here. He was already involved in financial scandals in the Vatican in reporting on them. And uh, likely was sent out of the Vatican for that very reason. And uh, sent to America. And yet, when called to do the hardest thing here, he did it nonetheless. But, despite his living in hiding, despite his having done something which makes, has made the Pope refer to him as the great Satan, despite him being vilified by hundreds of prelates around the world, many of whom worked with him before, he nonetheless sees great hope and is, not, is neither fearful nor uh, uh, despairing. And so that's where we want to go today. I'm going to show you some things which hopefully most of you know. If you don't, I apologize, but you should know. Because from what I've seen of you, you are the fighters. You are such a small percentage of people, you don't even realize it. Because you are the Catholics who are awake, aware of what's going on. You know your faith. You know your catechism. You're an incredibly small number of people. But it only took 12 apostles. And you really need to see yourselves as such. 
as apostles for truth in a wasteland that is actually worse than a pagan wasteland because in a pagan wasteland you had started from nothing from a pagan belief but in this wasteland you start from an inoculation against Catholicism everybody goes and gets Catholic light just enough so that they'll never turn to it so trying to fight against an inoculation is very very difficult indeed and so that's what we're facing a, a challenge like none other now and I go to the next slide and this is a video now I hope it plays with audio we'll just give it a try and see what happens when there is no battle there is no Christendom I think that Planned Parenthood has excellent leadership when there is no battle there is no true church of God uh, you know people are born that way you know if they're gay or lesbian no true Catholic Church our battle is not with flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. But how the faithful should respond when pastors teach or promote heresy. It has to say, with respect, I know my faith. I know. I have the catechism of all times. This cannot change. And for this faith, I am ready to die. Your Excellency, you are ready to die. Please join me. Carlo Viganò claims that Pope Francis and other top officials of the church knew of the allegations of sexual abuse against Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. We live in a time when it seems as if everything in the church is backwards. The church's witness seems clouded by her sin and confusion. Now more than ever, the faithful need to rise and take a stand together for the truth. LifeSite exists to help the faithful cut through the confusion to see what is really happening in the church and culture. We provide the most complete and uncompromising coverage of the news that matters most to the fate of Western civilization. But we can't do it alone. LifeSite exists exclusively as a reader-funded mission. So our success depends upon readers just like you. That video has a particular reason, and I'm going to say something that I've never said in public before here, because this is actually the most important, uh, appropriate time to say this. On that video, you saw Bishop Athanasius Schneider talking at a conference of the Voice of the Family, which LifeSite co-founded uh, in 2014 uh, with the first of the Extraordinary Synods on the Family that started this process of uh, very difficult times that the church is dealing with right now. And there was another bishop in attendance at that conference, the one you are honoring tonight, Archbishop Vigano. He was the only other bishop in the room. He sat in the front row. You remember the words that Bishop Schneider said to him? Because you heard them on the tape. When there's a pastor who gives you wrong teaching, you have to say clearly and with respect, I know my faith. And for this faith, I am ready to die. Your Excellency, are you ready to die? Please join me. And that was Archbishop Vigano. You know when you're the organizer of a conference and you're sort of watching and filming and you can see them both and he's on there? That's, you're like, oh man, that's pretty hard. 
But it was an incredible moment. And it was weeks before Archbishop Vigano gave his testimony. So there's some very powerful uh, things going on in the church right now. I want to give you first a summary of them with a song. There's a really popular song. And this part of the presentation has to sort of be cut out of the film because if you're taping this, um, this is sort of copyrighted. But it was so powerful, this, this song. Uh, my wife said something to me. It is a popular song and it's a secular song. So some of you might have heard it, probably all, lots of you not. But it, it went like this. It was, say something. Um, and it was a song about say something, I'm giving up on you, and there's a whole bunch of lyrics. But when my wife heard it the first time, she said, you know, that sounds like the Pope. We're all wanting him to say something. This came at the time of the Vigano revelations of the, after the dubia cardinals had submitted their dubia to the Pope, asking him to clarify teaching because it was, seemed like it was going against traditional church teaching for 2,000 years. And so they asked for clarification. Cardinal Vigano put out his statements asking the Pope to say something about what he knew when with, <coughs> with regard to sexual abuse by Cardinal McCarrick. And of course, the Pope's answer was, I will say nothing. And that's what he did say, and that's what has happened. This song was powerful in that it spoke to three elements. Say something, I'm giving up on you. The sort of bad things that are going on. Then there's a line that talks about anywhere I would have followed you. Think about that. Who are Archbishop Vigano, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Muller, Cardinal Zen? Who are they? They are the most faithful cardinals and bishops in the world. The ones who went all the way to defending the teachings of John Paul II and Benedict under the most severe criticisms from other German bishops and everywhere around the world. They were the ones who went to the floor, were crucified in the media, and did everything to defend the faith while getting smashed everywhere. They were called names, they were called homophobes, haters, and bigots, and yet they defended the faith with John Paul II and Benedict every day. That's who these men are. And yet, that's the men that are now being persecuted by the Pope. So when you hear in this song, Anywhere I Would Have Followed You, think of those heroic men who already had sacrificed their lives under the previous pontificates. And then there's a part of this song that mentions, I'm too small to understand what's going on. And those are the victims. Shown in the, in the little sketch, it's the sexual abuse victims, but it's also the victims of false teaching in the church which include your children. And I speak very personally about that and because it's harmed my own children. As you heard, I have eight children. When Pope Francis on July 16, 2016 said, cohabitation is real marriage and has the grace of real marriage because I saw in those couples real fidelity, my daughter called from college to say, Dad, is it true that the Pope said cohabitation is real marriage and has the grace of real marriage? And I've asked cardinals since, was I supposed to lie to my daughter? Because these things are affecting our children. So if the song plays, we'll give it a shot. I'm going to stay with that last image, and we're going to focus there. 
That last video clip is a very important one because that last video clip says a lot about your honoree today, Carlo Maria Vigano. As I told you, Archbishop Vigano was the nuncio to the United States. In the United States, you had a big battle in 2015 that uh, was all over the news all over the world. The same-sex marriage battle was very heated. And in 2015, there was a convert from living a life of sin, a woman who had four husbands who became an evangelical Christian. Her name was Kim Davis. She was in Kentucky. And she refused to sign her name to marriage certificates for homosexual couples. She, with three children, was threatened with jail for doing that. And she refused nonetheless and was jailed. When the Pope came to America, the nuncio asked if he could bring Kim Davis to see the Pope. That was true ecumenism. He wanted to encourage her, yes, in her strong stance for the family, in her heroism. But I know in his heart, too, he wanted to introduce this woman who had given so much of herself for Christ to the ultimate truth of the Catholic Church. Because he's a holy man. And so, after gaining permission with a request with the Holy Father himself and talking to the cardinals in charge of the visit, he got permission and brought Kim Davis into the nunciature to meet with the Pope. It was a highly politicized situation, everybody knew, so the Vatican photographers were told not to release the photos until it was allowed by the superiors, the two cardinals in charge of the visit. Also, but they did take many photos, as they always do with meetings with the Pope. Also, Kim Davis was asked not to reveal details about the meeting till after the Pope left America. And so she did. It was first her lawyer who mentioned it to the media that they had met and that he, the Pope, had encouraged her in her stance for the family. And then something very strange happened because, of course, the media went wild with the story and they went to the Vatican because Kim Davis, unlike everybody else who meets with the Pope, had no photo, no selfie, no nothing. And the Vatican refused to confirm it. So the media in America started to lie and say Kim Davis was a liar. But when her lawyer got more involved, a few days later, they said, yes, it did happen. But it was not a real audience. It was a meeting with a whole bunch of people where they were just brought in by the nuncio. And then the Vatican said the only real audience was with a former student of the Pope and his family. That visit with the Pope was witnessed, photographed, and also videotaped, and you just watched it. Because the person who was his student, who he met with, and his family, was indeed Yayo Grassi. Yayo Grassi is a famous homosexual. And he came, yep, with his mother and his sister, whom you saw there, but also with his homosexual partner, whom you saw the Pope embracing, by the way. Now, that's very damaging in our climate. There's no way to get around 
that imagery. There's no way to explain it away. You might say, oh yes, but Jesus went and visited with sinners too. Yes, it's true. But he told them, go and sin no more. And if he was in a situation where there was a man and a woman living in adultery, you think he'd go up to them publicly both and hug them both in front of everybody? No way. And Yayo Grassi is public on his testimony that the Pope never told him not to engage in his homosexual relations. Things are very, very serious indeed. It got even worse. A few months later, after this event, Archbishop Vigano was removed as nuncio unceremoniously. Usually in the Vatican, uh, in the olden days, the previous popes, when someone was moved out of an office, even if it was for a reason that was not very good, they would call, do what's called kick them upstairs, give them a better post, give them a something to move them out of that spot, but not put them on the streets, as it were. Well, that wasn't done with Archbishop Vigano, nor was it done with Cardinal Burke, nor was it done with Cardinal Muller. They were just put out of office. So, what are we then dealing with? Well, there is some news. There's some news from a sexual abuse victim by the name, a homosexual sexual abuse victim by the name of um, uh, Juan Carlos Cruz. The Pope met with Juan Carlos Cruz and told him this story, which is recorded in the New York Times. Juan Carlos Cruz says the Pope told him that he was horrified that the nuncio snuck in that woman and he didn't know anything about her. And he fired that nuncio because of it. The Vatican never clarified that. They were asked. It was in the New York Times. It was in most newspapers around the world repeating the New York Times. Juan Carlos Cruz is a clergy sexual abuse victim with huge clout in the media. So that made national news everywhere. What does that say about the church? What does that say about the teaching of the church on homosexual acts? You know that teaching is a teaching of love because that behavior harms the individuals in those lifestyles big time. It harms them physically, it harms them emotionally, it harms them psychologically, and most of all, because remember we care about souls first, it harms them spiritually and can lead to eternal damnation. And what are we doing in encouraging a lifestyle that's so deadly? And when it comes from the Pope, what really are we dealing with? If you go to the next slide, please. This is Archbishop Vigano with Steve and I. Steve Jelcevac is the co-founder of LifeSite News. And uh, he's a, a great man who, unfortunately, has had uh, uh, health problems with uh, pain for the last six years or so. But I honestly believe that a lot of the suffering that he offers up has led to a lot of the blessing for LifeSite. Um, Archbishop Vigano was not only with us there at that conference, which was predates his testimony, he was with us at another conference before that. You see, we had heard the stories before the stories became public, before he did his testimony, and he shared it with us and because he found uh, that we were Catholics after his own heart. And it sort of was like he could unload, he could finally release this, all this pent-up insanity. And he's got a lot of information to tell, which, lots of which he hasn't yet told. 
So there are many, many things going on, but he's doing this again out of love for the church. Next slide, please. So in Matthew 18.6, you'll read about the millstone. I call it the millstone award. Our Lord, speaking especially to religious leaders, said it would be better for you that a millstone be tied about your neck and you be cast into the sea than you confuse the little ones. Many of you know what a millstone is. Maybe the younger people don't. A millstone is a huge stone used to crush flour. It's massively heavy. They're ridiculous. That tied about your neck and thrown into the sea is an automatic, disgusting death sentence. But again, it is out of love for the Pope that these things are being done because that's the award, the reward you get when you're unfaithful and confuse the little ones. And it is confusing the little ones, what the Pope himself is doing. Next slide, please. Um, at LifeSite, we've produced a magazine. I've got copies in the back because almost no one can follow this. We put out daily between 15 and 35 stories a day every day many of which deal with this. They deal with the whole movements for life and family around the world for sure, but sometimes more than half of them deal with what's going on in the Vatican right now. So our monthly news magazine is out there. It's a Vatican news magazine exclusive uh, to, to LifeSite News and focusing exclusively on this tragedy of what's going on. I, I, someone asked me earlier, how long has this been running? I said three years. I realize actually it's four years. Um, things just fly by faster than you can imagine. Next slide, please. Um, in fact, if you can go, if you can go four slides ahead, that one there. You saw this on the video. This is Emma Bonino. Emma Bonino was the uh, illegal abortionist in Italy. She's the best known abortionist. After she did about 10,000 illegal abortions, she fled the country so as not to get arrested. She came back a little while later and became a politician. Uh, as a politician, she went on to legalize abortion, homosexuality, and all the rest. They're, the party pursues every anti-Catholic angle you can imagine. Pope Francis appreciates her. In fact, he called her in the most read newspaper in Italy, one of the nation's forgotten greats. Why? Because he appreciates her stand on immigration. <laughs> Next slide, please. I'm sorry for this side, but that's her committing an illegal abortion. Next slide, please. Okay, after this, you have this. It's an unbelievable steady stream of population control advocates coming to the Vatican. If you remember the Vatican under JP2 especially, most of you are pro-life activists in this room, so you'll remember the fight, JP2 sending the pro-life movements from around the world to the UN to battle what? Population controllers. Because they were pushing on the UN to legalize abortion, contraception, and force population control on peoples. Well, since Pope Francis came into the papacy, we've had a steady stream of these guys, including the worst of the worst. If you go to the next slide. On the end there, that's Paul Ehrlich. That's the father of the population control movement speaking at the Vatican. It was so unbelievable when we heard about this happening, we actually went and interviewed Paul Ehrlich because we said this is impossible. He's the author of The Population Bomb from 1968, which launched sort of as the, he's the godfather of the population control movement, or even the father of it, if you will. And so we said this is impossible. He can't be coming. That's just nonsense. He was coming. In fact, we did a petition. We had over, I think we had over 10,000 or more signatures to the Pope not to invite him. He came nonetheless. But when we interviewed him, he said something very interesting. He said he really appreciated the new direction Pope Francis was moving the church in. 
Um, next to him is John Bongartz, the head of the Population Council. That's equivalent to like Planned Parenthood in terms of its pushing of abortion, but they do it from the population control perspective. The next one is uh, Partha Dasgupta. Not only is he a population controller, he's actually on the Pontifical Council for the family, excuse me, Pontifical uh, Academy for Sciences. And next to him is Bishop uh, Sanchez Serrando, who is actually the head of the Pontifical Academy for Social Sciences and the Pontifical Academy for Sciences. And we've got him on tape, if you go to LifeSite you'll find it, saying, and I'll quote it for you, women, by Catholic teaching he's talking about, need Catholic education, excuse me, need education. So they will have one or two children, not seven. Next slide, please. So, in addition to the getting rid of Cardinal Burke, Cardinal, uh, there's been a lot of cardinals removed. Cardinal Muller, whom you know about as well. Um, there was, there's been the elevation of other people to cardinals who are impossible to be named as cardinals, such as um, Cardinal de Kessel. You don't know him, but um, I will. Tell you, well, let, uh, let me use Blaise Supic. So, Blaise Supic, you all know. Okay, so Supic was known for a long time when he was Father Supic as a problem. When he was Bishop Supic, he was known as a big problem. He's the one who fought 40 Days for Life, told their priests they shouldn't go to it. Um, but I had a personal encounter with, with uh, then Archbishop Supic while he was in Rome. So, while he was in Rome, um, we were discussing at the time, it was 2015, and so we're taking up this issue of communion for divorced and remarried. And he was sitting there talking to a group of journalists, um, and he was saying how the minister of Holy Communion must respect the consciences of the people. Therefore, if some people come up who are divorced and remarried, no annulment, and not living in continence, the minister of Holy, and, but they feel in conscience that they should be able to receive, they should receive. So I asked him, I said, well, um, you know, Your Excellency, then what about gay couples or homosexual couples? If, if they feel in conscience, they should, too should receive Holy Communion uh, and they come up. He said gays are people too. The Minister of Holy Communion must respect the consciences of the people. It was so shocking that he would say homosexual couples should receive Holy Communion. We got called fake news. Then we put out the audio of the, because uh, I recorded the uh, conversation, um, and then three weeks later Archbishop Supic said it on television here, the same thing. But he was named Cardinal after that. So it's not like you can say it's unknown what's going on. It's not unknown, it's known. It's purposeful, unfortunately. Uh, next slide, please. So the different uh, things at, in the Vatican are being dismantled. Uh, the head of the new head of the Pontifical Academy for Life, Archbishop Paglia, is a very controversial character because, well, uh, he came from the Archdiocese of Terni, where he had a humongous mural painted. Um, I don't know if the, the photo is there. Yes, it is. If you go to the next slide. This is a tiny portion of the painting. So this is a huge mural. If the Blessed Sacrament were there, it's the opposite side of the church, it's this whole wall and it goes way, way up because it's a cathedral church, and it's an image of Christ. Christ is in a translucent garb so that you can see genitals underneath, which is disgusting all by itself. He's holding up two nets. In the nets are all sorts of nude people, mostly transvestites, homosexuals and stuff, 
and he's taking them up to heaven. In the photo, you'll notice he's Arch, uh, Archbishop Paglia had himself painted in. He's there with the little skull cap on, embracing the nude man uh, to his left. That is the bishop they brought to become first the head of the Pontifical Council for the Family, then the head of the Pontifical Academy for Life. As the head of the Pontifical Academy for Life, by the way, he dismantled it. What he did was he eliminated the pro-life clause. He suspended all the members, brought back most, eliminated the ones that were most faithful to John Paul II, who, by the way, with the help of LifeSite, formed another John Paul II Academy for Life, but that's another story. But also brought on people who were pro-abortion and pro-euthanasia into the Academy for Life, into the Pontifical Academy for Life, and made their mandate, by the way, about promoting... Um, um, Amoris Laetitia. Next. Um, and environment and so on. Oh, that's Cardinal Daniels again who was on the balcony with him. Forward again, please. Um, okay. So, uh, in 2015, so this is very concerning. Okay, let me just see where we are. Okay, good. One last bit of information uh, before I get to a summary. On the plane in 2016, Pope Francis explained something he did in 2015. It's a very confusing papacy because Pope Francis will say both things. I can show you six times where he's condemned the gender ideology as a bad thing. He's quoting mostly Benedict XVI. But when he was asked on a plane in 2016, oh, well, how do you deal pastorally with uh, transgender people? He explained the story we reported on in 2015 and we all were, were told it was fake news because we had a photo, but... Uh, we, we reported the story, but nobody else picked up on it. If you go to the next slide, I'll show you. Uh, oops, sorry. Forward, uh, how many? Uh, four, four more, I think it is. One more, one more. There we go. Okay, here's the photo. The Pope's in the middle. He's surrounded by two women, one of whom looks like a guy because she had a surgery to remove her breasts and took drugs so that she could grow facial hair. The Pope invited them to the Vatican. The Pope called them married and happy. The Pope explained this in the press conference on the flight. So if anybody doesn't believe it, please don't believe me. Please look up the Vatican transcript of the flight from... Uh, I'll get the exact date for you. Uh, February 18th, 2016. Oh no, sorry, that's not the right date. It's, um, I'll have to get the right date for you. Sorry, I got the wrong one. Oh yes, June 16, 2016? No. All right, anyway, but that's there. You can find it. So I'm going to go, if you can fast forward. I'm going to have to skip over a lot because a lot has happened. Uh, uh, a lot, a lot has happened. Keep going. If you go like five or six slides ahead. One more, one more, one more, one more. Okay, one, uh, three more. One more, uh, sorry, one more again. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, okay. Uh, recently, this thing about homosexuality is severe because it's one of the greatest persecutions that the church in America is receiving. This is Pope Francis in a picture with the LGBT Catholics of Westminster. You know dignity and the whole group that pushes homosexual masses where the couples come together and receive... That's this group. And Pope Francis did a photo opportunity with them. That's as bad as doing a photo op with like James Martin. Go to the next slide, please. 
but that's here. <laughs> so if you look at Father James Martin's tweet about what it was, the Pope met him first and said, I want to have a private audience with you, and had the private audience with him. It's encouraging him in his work, which is deforming the teaching of the church on homosexuality like nothing else. We work at LifeSite with a lot of people. We have a, a guy on staff, an incredible writer. He was a practiced the homosexual lifestyle, came out of it, and fights it now because he knows the damage it causes personally. And he's so harmed by this because this cuts right to the heart of their faith. His faith and all of those heroic Catholics who have left that lifestyle with great hardship and are struggling to live faithful lives. And so they're undermined by this kind of thing. So in the, in the end, if you can go forward now, remember Archbishop Vigano though still has hope. How can you have hope amidst all of this hell? Two things. One, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It's a quote from the scriptures in Romans 5.20. And it's true. And you know what? A lot of people, you've probably heard it said, oh, it's much worse in the past. Much, much worse. You know what? That's a lie. You can, you can actually prove it. I'll prove it to you in two minutes. So where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There's more sin today ever than before. Why? Well, this is why. Very easy one. A lot of people, what did Our Lady come to say in 1917? More people go to hell because of what? Sins of the flesh than any other reason. Okay, well guess what? There's more people today who watch porn regularly, by the way, which is a mortal sin, and what? Than there were people alive in 1917. So you can take that to all those folks who tell you, oh, it was much worse in the past. No, it wasn't. Sin abounds more now than ever before. But that also means that second part of it counts. Grace abounds all the more. So there's more grace around now for the asking than ever before in history. And you know what? I see it. I see it in fine people like these people who invited me here. In, I can't tell you how impressed I am with the, the people I've met here. Um, I love meeting people who I consider saints. There's tons of those today and they're coming together like never before. In Rome, just last week, we brought, two weeks ago, we brought together Michael Matt, Michael Voris, Taylor Marshall, a whole bunch of people. They're from sort of disparate places all over the place. But you know what? There's a unification going on like has never happened before. Because all those little skirmishes that they were having in the past are all getting blown out of the water by the calamity that's going on. So there's incredible movement happening. And so how do you, many people ask me, oh, how do you not be depressed with all of this going on? I'm sure people have asked Archbishop Vigano the same thing. Well, I'm going to tell you from a Canadian perspective how, you see, in Canada we're all about hockey, so you have to bear with this. <laughs> so a very holy Canadian priest told me this. He's, he's actually a funny guy. He, he was a LifeSite fan, and we brought him along to our retreat. And, you know, he's like this tall, and he looks like Elmer Fudd. And so... <laughs> You didn't expect much. You knew he was a really nice guy. He's a financial supporter. Like, he's gold. But you weren't expecting, uh, you know, something deep. So his homily, when it started, about hockey, was totally unsurprising. And then this happened. He said his team had been waiting to win the hockey uh, NHL tournament forever. And finally made it to the playoffs. And... He was just getting ready to watch it. He hadn't got his beer and popcorn yet. And they had scored a goal. It was terrible against his team. So 
He finally got to sit down. His team lost two more goals in the first period, and he was all depressed. But he said, don't worry, we'll rally in the second. In the second period, they lost four goals. And he explained how each goal seemed like a knife in the heart. It was terrible. And he only watched the third period out of an offering because he's a priest and he figured it would be expiation, right? <laughs> so he watches it, and in the third period, his team rallies and scores seven goals to tie it up, and in overtime, they win. But he said, you know, 20 years later, he's watching TV again, and they were playing the best ever games ever played on the NHL, and they were playing his game. And he said, you know, I could watch all the goals in the first period and all the goals in the second period with joy because I knew we won in the end. And there's the beauty. We all know who wins in the end. In the end, Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph, and in the end, she will crush the head of the serpent. Be encouraged. Amen. Ave Maria, and God bless you all.